Hey, what's going on? My name is Alec Berg, and this is Psychotronicast. Joining me, as always, in the flesh at the flagship is Derek Estes. You can and should subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to this on. And we have an Instagram you should follow. Uh, email psychotronicast at gmail.com. Write to us whenever you like. A website, psychotronicast.com. And we have a Patreon. For $5 a month, you will get, I think, 50 episodes now, um, which is fantastic because I regret to inform everybody out there that we will probably not make another episode on this platform for a month because May is quite the busy month for both of us personally. So uh, we'll be back in June. And if you get a you know hankering for a little more Psychotronic cast in your lives, do know there is a Patreon out there with 50 episodes that will keep you busy all month long. So without further ado, Derek, what the hell are you getting us into? Uh, doing one of my, my favorites, a movie we haven't watched for a while, uh, but Phantom of the Paradise, Brian De Palma's 1974 film. Um, and it's, yeah, it, I, as much as I love De Palma, so much this is my favorite of his films. It's the one I can watch the most, and I just fucking love the shit out of it, so it's fun to cover. I kind of agree, too. I mean, I um, that sucks. I just had his uh, stuff... Put up. I mean, I really do enjoy uh, Brian De Palma's films for the most part. Even the ones that kind of don't work sometimes, like um, Snake Eyes, is still like kind of a fun watch. Yeah. Uh, but he's made so many fantastic films, especially like you know starting with his like short films they did with Robert De Niro um, back in the day. But then like coming up, I actually don't know if I ever saw Sisters. Oh no, you saw. Sisters. Oh, I, I did see Sisters. Okay, yeah, that was the film I watched right before. This is the film right before. So yeah. I actually love that because, like, the, the crazy in that. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, William Finley is so great in that movie, too. Yeah. Uh, as the, the crazy doctor. Yes. Um, yeah, so good. So, yeah, that was 72. The Phantom Paradise is 74, but I just want to talk about his filmography a little bit after that. Yeah, because yeah, after that, you know, he does Obsession, which I know I have not seen. Yeah, that one's great. And then Carrie is the one that broke him out in se- the same year in 76, too. Um, the Fury you showed me a little while ago, I couldn't really get too into that, but yeah. you you were all about it. And then, that one. you know, then he rips off uh, Dress to Kill in 80, Blow Out in 81, which could be one of his best ones too. Yeah. Scarface in 83, which is like, you know, one of his most successful ones. And then Body Double in 84. So he's like on a fucking roll. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, directs the Dancing in the Dark music video for Bruce Springsteen. And then he comes out with like, you know, his Oscar baby with The Untouchables. I don't know if he won, but he definitely got nominated. Oh no, yeah. After that, um, yeah, you know, Bonfire of the Vanities, Raising Kane, which is like, pretty insane <laughs> I think it went so long I remember it being good yeah it's I mean Lithgow just going full Lithgow yeah. uh, Carlito's Way which I don't like oh, I actually like Carlito's Way I actually now I, I like Scarface more but for years I thought it was way better than Scarface yeah I only saw it once or twice younger um, I guess I just didn't yeah Pacino looks weird with a beard uh, Sean Penn looks weird as the Jewish lo- lawyer uh yeah, I just I guess I couldn't get into that too much, and then yeah, the first Mission Impossible, which is pretty iconic, uh, Snake Eyes, which is like meh. the ending's pretty horrible, but the opening shot's pretty fantastic. It's like a you know single take, like you know ten or fifteen minute thing. Um, Mission to Mars didn't see Femme Fatale. I still need to watch Black Dahlia was garbagio beans, and then the rest is history. But yeah, now going back to seventy two, I mean he's done all those. Um, Short films and whatnot. Well, they were features. 
Well, there were features before. I'm sorry. I'm I mean, like, are those. There is like the only thing is Be Black Baby can be taken out as its own film, but the other they are feature length movies. They're okay, all, like, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you take it away. I don't know why I'm oh, yeah. talking here. No, um, but yeah, so this movie um, is crazy. This is like a crazy nucleus. This cross paths with so many great movies. It was uh, produced by Edward Pressman, who uh, he was the heir to the Pressman Toy Manufacturing Company. And so he kind of, you know, um, and they actually use, they shoot in the toy, the Pressman toy factory in this movie as to do another movie that he produced, uh, Christmas Evil, which is oh, a favorite of mine. hell yeah. Um, but right before this, he had produced Terrence Malick's feature debut, Badlands. Um, what a role. Which is funny because that movie, you know, stars Sissy Spacek and Jack Fisk is the production designer. And, you know, come over to here and then uh, Jack Fisk is again the production designer. The production design in Phantom is amazing. Um, and then uh, also Sissy Spacek is, is the set director, set decorator on this movie. Uh, but this is also while they were also concurrently working on David Lynch's Eraserhead. So there's just so much of just a, an idea of how fertile the film God. world was with all these um, these different, you know, like just people and everything's just everyone's so creative and there's so much going on. Uh, and this was released by 20th Century Fox. And when they were just kind of really adventurous in the things that they were putting out, this is like about a year before they did uh, Rocky Horror, which is, there's a lot of kind of like similarities and it kind of looks forward to that. Both those movies were huge bombs when they first came out, though they both found cult followings in different ways. Rocky Horror had a huge cult following, became one of the big midnight movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phantom just kind of disappeared for a long time. The only people that really seemed to care about it were the people in Paris and Winnipeg. Uh, where it had like huge followings in both those two cities, and it just kind of like the Paris of the Northern Lights, Winnipeg. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you have like just so many things in this that um, that work so great. You also have the the film debut of uh, uh, Jessica Harper, Unbelievable. who she is so amazing in this movie, and this is uh, the movie that inspired Dario Argento to cast her in Suspiria, which is her. Yeah, most famous yeah. performance. So there's a direct line uh, over to there, uh, and then the like the real like you know catch of this movie is Paul Williams, um, who plays the kind of uh, lead antagonist Swan, who's this like kind of Svengali, uh, you know, like Phil Spector esque character. Um, but he wrote like all the music, um, and he was like. It's so weird for him to have been chosen because he was a huge pop writer, songwriter at the time. Like he was doing uh, all of the big memorable like Carpenter songs were all like written by him. Uh, he did, like you know the Muppet stuff. Like he wrote like Rainbow Connection, all of that those things. Like uh, another old fashioned love song. Like lots of like kind of more easy listening like uh, AM pop radio type mm-hmm. stuff. Evergreen from the Barbra Streisand Star Is Born. Like that's Paul Williams. Uh- I, I read that this is actually uh, Daft Punk's favorite movie. Yeah, that's why they put the whole centerpiece of Random Access Memories is Touch with Paul Williams. And it's like an yep. eight-minute epic song yeah. in the middle of it. Which is also like... Uh, he's basically... And it's funny because I was listening to that earlier today as well. Uh, it's basically him playing the Phantom. I mean, they even have like all the video effects on that where it sounds like the scene in yes. Phantom of Paradise when... Uh, when they're going through uh, Winslow's voice, you know, he's like, yeah, tweaking everything. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I feel like it's almost like Winslow's Ghost of the Phantom like comes back to haunt that that record. Man, all right. I guess I'll get it over with now. Oh, yeah, go for but it. But I have, out of five stars, this is four and a half. Yeah. 
And the reason it doesn't have five stars, I'm going to get killed for this, oh. is I actually don't really like the music too much in the film. Oh, that's so funny. I, I love the music. I, everybody does. Yeah. Everybody does. I've read countless reviews, uh, whatever, and it's just like, blah, whatever. And it really has nothing... I mean, the song writing is incredible, and like the, the way that Paul Williams does like chord progression, and like he just plays like 50-cent chords. Like they're not. It's not just like, you know, G, D... A or whatever it's just they're all over the place and you're just like wow this is some really intricate stuff it doesn't really make for like very like catchy in my head in my brain and my small brain but um also like yeah i don't i never i couldn't get into the vocals in like for mostly everybody that sings in the film like i just none of the none of the voices makes me go yeah too much and um it's weird because like the band that plays, you know, the three bands in the, the fr- Juicy Fruits. Yeah, the Juicy Fruits and the the Undead and like whatever. I was like, this is so crazy because at the beginning, yeah, as the Juicy Fruits, I'm like this is like Shanana. Yeah. And then like reading about it and it's like, oh, they wanted Shanana, but then they were at Dicks and they didn't they didn't want to work with them. I'm like, oh, this is funny. This is like Shanana, but like the vocals are just a little more annoying, which is interesting because I know you don't like Frankie Fowley in the Four Seasons. Oh, I hate him. And this is like. Like shriller, in my opinion, than th- this. And I know, you know, they're that's kind of what they're getting at. Blah, 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 yeah, blah. yeah. But in general, like you know, um, and it, it might be unfair to always compare the two with Rocky Horror, but like those songs, not maybe the movie itself, but like you know, Touch Me, Touch Me, Touch Me, I Want to Feel Dirty, and like Let's Do the Time Warp Again, and all those songs. There's like a major hook, and like they, they'll stick in your head and whatever. With this, I purposely watched the film last night, Stone of the Bone. I'm like, okay, I'll take notes tomorrow when I'm sober. Yeah. Watch it this morning. Cool. Listen to the soundtrack on the way to work. I'm like, is it clicking? Because it's like, you know, with brilliant stuff, like the first time you hear Radiohead or something amazing, then it usually takes like 10 or 20 times for it to sink in to realize like how brilliant it really is. And maybe that day is going to come for me in Family <laughs> of the Paradise. But I have listened to it three times in the last 24 hours, the soundtrack, and I'm like... I just don't... There's not one song where I'm like, yes, it's on. Oh, yeah. And I know, I mean, I oh, might no, be the yeah. only person on Earth no, that feels I love that it, all of it. It's, I know. It's so great. I know. Um, <laughs> but no, to yeah. put it out there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I totally love all of it. I think all the songs, like, even like the opening, the opening song, like, Eddie is just so great. It's just like the whole, like, the battle, the whole story of just like him and just like... Um, you know, being the pop star who kills himself to, like, mm-hmm. become famous to save his sister. Like, I love all of that. There's just so many, like, great lines in that. Um, and then I just love, yeah, I think Jessica Harper is so great. Like, I love, yeah. Is she really singing? The, yeah, she's really singing. Oh, I had no idea if that was yeah, her or not. Has, I think she has a great voice. I love her voice. Um, yeah, and I also love Paul Williams' voice, too. Like, it's not like, he doesn't have, like, a super strong, like, operatic voice, but it has so much character to it. I think it's also what works so well in the Daft Punk song. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, I totally love it. I love all the music. Um, I hope one day to feel uh, Yeah. Um, and all the other things, too, like how you can see the progressions of the songs, too, because it's supposed to be like how they're kind of like, uh, you know, fucking with... Stripping you know, it of all its Yeah, merit. just like, and also yeah. like, yeah, this, turning it all into like whatever the uh, the theme or the pop trend of the day is. So like when they turn into like the kind of the Beach Boys mm-hmm. side band and so like the song's all about like the upholstery and like <laughs> carburetors, man, that's what life's all about. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, it's so great. Um, I love all that. I love all of the the crazy, I mean this movie is so dense with like other references where it's 
in some ways it's, you know, obviously you have Phantom of the Opera and like that's, you know, the overall arching theme. But then within it, there's like this kind of Faustian element to it. And that is also funny because that is one of the main themes of uh, Vincent Minnelli's The Bandwagon, where there's this uh, Broadway producer and he wants to put on a musical version of Faust, but it's just way too pretentious. No one wants to see it. And eventually Fred Astaire has to go back and uh, kind of re you know, refigure this entire show so it doesn't turn to a big flop and he does this other like awesome kind of film noir Mickey Spillane thing. Um, so I just love that. And then even once they get to uh, the period where, because Swan is trying to open um, the Paradise, which is, it was originally going to be the Fillmore. Uh, like that would have been so more. awesome. Um, but I actually like that it's more of an abstract whatever. It's just like this fantasy place. Uh-huh. Um, so he's trying to open that and he's trying to get like this music to you know set you know the big premiere for this uh, this theater. And uh, so he ends up basically creating the star. He takes Winslow's music and then he's you know trying to reconfigure it. And there's even a scene where he's. Uh, like looking at all the different options of like way like popular music styles to uh, filter the music through, and so there's kind of like the you know kind of '70s hippie harmonic band, you know, like the harmonizing band, the vocal, mm-hmm. band. and then there's like the the black soul singers. There's the sort of Graham Parsons kind of country guy. Yeah, totally. And then he ends up coming to uh, Garrett Graham, one of my favorite parts of this movie too, uh, oh is God. Beef. Yes, and he is so fucking great and it's this crazy like sort of Alice Coopery sort of uh, like proto glam rock sort of uh-huh. uh, icon and then there's all this elements of uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and even when he uh, is going to premiere beef at the airport there um, he's dressed as Caligari and that, like, Swan is. And then they actually have Beef presented out of the coffin, almost like Cesar the Synopolist from the movie. And they have, like, uh, all the other bands, the Juicy Fruits, but now they're, like, this kind of... It's not like a goth band. I mean, it's kind of... It's, Alice Cooper is the closest reference because it's, like, kind of pre-goth and it's pre-like Kiss, even. Yeah. You know, they have the crazy, like, uh, the makeup. And there's a lot of stuff, too, where even when they're putting on that big show, the big premiere um, show... Where they do the whole Frankenstein thing. Where yeah. they, they're chopping up the audience. Mm-hmm. They make all the pieces to make beef. Well, yeah, the undead was so nuts when they like come out and it's just like... It's like the misfits before the misfits. Yeah, totally. And you're just like, hell yeah. And then they're like, you know, like spearing and chopping off the heads of like... It's so badass of like the crowd. And you're like, no, that's a fucking... I mean, you think like Iggy Pop would do that oh, or something yeah. in his prime. So that was fantastic. And but it's totally like Rocky Horror, too. Exactly. Like, like, and that's yeah. why the comparisons are so, like, insane. It's just, like, especially, like, Beef kind of looks like, um, all right, what's the guy, uh, what was the characters, who is the Rocky Horror picture show? Oh, who is that? Uh, um, who, the guy who plays Rocky, um, I can't think of his name right now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's like another like beefcake guy. But... Yeah, uh, well, Tim Curry. Well, Tim oh, Curry yeah. is it, whatever. But like, yeah, his his little beefcake monster, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, I can't think of the name, but yeah, exactly like that. And it's funny to see beef because I saw this film like years ago with you. You showed me, and then you know later on I saw the movie Terrorvision like thrice oh, yeah. since then. So then watching this again, I'm like that's the fucking dad from Terrorvision. Oh yeah. And it's funny when I did watch Terrorvision, I like I'm you know I always. 
I guess size people up physically. So like I just saw the dad. I'm like, man, that dad is like yoked. And then like you saw, and then watching Family Paradise, I'm like, oh yeah, he's literally his name is Beef. Oh, and it's yeah. just like this guy like doesn't look like he belongs in that era. Like he looks like I don't know. He's just like. They really did find, like, this beefcake to be in this film. And, um... He's always so great, and I don't know why he never became a bigger... I don't know. he's in, like, uh, some of the early De Palma movies as well. Where he's, like, more of, like, just some hippie guy. And then he just kind of shows up here and there. But then he's I just feel like... And he always brings the voices. He's always so great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, yeah, De Palma in this film, I think... I mean, I've only seen Rocky Horror, like, clips here and there, and then you've showed me it once before all the way through. I've watched it. But, like, yeah. I haven't really, like, you know... It would be interesting. I should have probably watched it before this to try and do all these comparisons. But um, I do like the music in Rocky Horror Picture Show better, but I like Phantom of the Paradise better as a movie to watch, I believe. And I think, like, just the, the execution of filmmaking is, like, can't go unnoticed. Like, De Palma... With a camera, I know that he's doing, you know, Hitchcock or whatever. Oh, but yeah. it's like, guess what? Hitchcock's the best. So it's just like, fuck it. If you can do what he does, then make it your own, baby. I mean, he's basically doing the shower scene in Psycho. Oh yeah, and, he totally does. And that, and then he does the well, like he kind of puts touch a of spin evil. on it because he does that. But then when you think that it's gonna be a murder scene, then you get the plunger in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so it's. I think that's the thing is he does a lot of that stuff in this movie, but I feel like it, as much as it's weird, it's. He's definitely making all these references to other movies, but then it isn't kind of like in uh, Body Double where you just totally have the like the vertigo stalking scene where it's like, oh yeah, it's the scene where he's like stalking her around mm -hmm. and yeah, like following her all around. But at uh, least that looks like a jalo. Yeah, but it's like that. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is is that is more like the Tarantino style where I'm just gonna blatantly rip. I'm gonna rip this and thing up and do and do the thing that it is. Yeah. In things like Phantom, where he's doing all the stuff, but either you get to either totally not notice it and whatever or he's putting it to some other purpose that's just really fun and entertaining yeah um and i just yeah i love that there's just so much of that in this movie and to shoot the way that he does like when homeboy becomes the phantom and then they just like throw on like a fisheye or a wide angle lens and like always just shoot him really close up so it's like it's such an odd look and it's just like it looks distorted because it is because they're shooting super close up with like a fisheye or wide angle lens, oh, yeah. like something that you would use in like skateboarding videos or whatever. But um, then like some of the effects that they do, like when Beef gets struck by lightning and oh, they yeah. fuck with like the timing, it looks so cool. And you know that's De Palma all the way. Um, yeah, all the the crazy tracking like back and forth. The the he's like running through like the the corridors. Yes, you know? I love that so much. And then I can't think of the guy, but basically. Um, Swan's right hand man. Oh, Philbin. Yeah, Philbin. When you were introduced to him, when they're after like the opening sequence, and it just shows him, and he's like far left, and you can see far right down, like onto the stage, and like that's out of focus, and they go like in and out and in and out whenever like you need to focus. It's like De Palma going like, all right, train your eye on this right here, train your eye on that. But it's like shot so wide. Well, it's so great. It's a point of view shot. It's Swan's point of view. Yeah. So most of it, you're just getting like the monologue from Philbin forever. But then, mm -hmm. yeah, in the background, you see all the other like people. Like there's all this depth and frame where then you have uh, Winslow way down the you know back like playing the piano. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but listen to this. Yeah. This is what we're gonna open open the paradise with. I mean, um, and I'm like, I mean, I, the stuff that I've done is in like the 21st century. So the technology is definitely on my side and I know how hard it is to do lip syncing because I've lip synced 
my own in videos that I've made. But it's cra- It's like shockingly bad in some scenes in this movie. I'm like, why are they hitting their shit? Uh, which we, it, the first Fa- when Faust is doing the Faust song or whatever, yeah. I'm like, man, he is like not a lip syncer. <laughs> but um, but I just love that spinning effect. It's like something Scorsese oh, has done like his whole career, where it's just like let's set up the tracks like in a complete circle and then just keep going round and round and round until you're dizzy, um, but always stay in focus. I don't know. Like De Palma is just. It's so good. Such a magician with the camera. It's it's what's I mean I mean you kinda of broke it to me that he'd done features beforehand. Um and I'd seen one of them. But like uh man, he was just so polished when he made this. It just it's just like a, a true pro made this film. Oh yeah. I mean that's like he was you know, kind of um yeah, I mean he, he definitely had that following. Like he was, you know, kind of that generation like even though he kind of came out around the same time, like, even Scorsese is, like, you know, De Palma and, like, he was, like, with Ford Coppola. Like, they were doing all this, like, cool shit by the mid-60s. They were already doing, like, these things. So then by the time... But he just didn't have, like, that big hit. This stuff was still a little bit more underground because it was just more far out and a little... Um, it wasn't as, like, commercial in yeah. some ways. Because uh, it was a little bit more radical in the politics and, you know, some of the stuff he was doing. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until Carrie that he really had that like crazy breakthrough. Yeah. And then everybody, you know, then finally had to pay attention. I mean, I'd seen the De Palma documentary, but he's New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Like a New York filmmaker. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's just, it's, it, yeah. New York filmmakers are just, especially from that era, just have, they just bring so much. <laughs> well, they... Yeah. Had so much. And he's also really into, you know, things being, like having like an interesting idea, like not just like shooting something, but like, you know, what, how it's like more holistic, like everything, you know, what you're shooting has to, you know, look interesting and it has to serve a purpose. And it's got to, you know, um, it's got to, you know, do more than one job. Uh, and he's just so good at that. Um, yeah. But I mean, he has that great like split screen, which is he's like really famous for yes. and they're doing, you know, the whole upholstery thing where you're seeing you know both both angles of like the uh, the plot to bomb the uh, the show like that scene is so great mm-hmm. and just like yeah all these like little little effects and little techniques um, there's even lots of little like there's just so many little things in this movie there's uh, even a shot that mirrors the, it's not actually in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls but it's the promotional picture that's used with, uh, used on the poster where it's all the women like on the giant round bed mm-hmm. like all hanging out and they even like map the same thing out where they're uh, all the women are trying it's when Winslow's trying to get a hold of uh, Swan and I'm like oh my god it's just like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls exactly um, it was a, the first image that we used for this podcast was since our first episode oh, Beyond yeah. the Valley of the Dolls is the image of them in that giant bed and then like watching that this morning I was just like, oh, that's so fucking funny. And then also, like, the second episode we did was a lizard and a woman's skin has women in a giant circular bed. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, okay, obviously we have a, we have a kink. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I just got to point out the the intro by Rod Serling. Oh, that's like, so great. You're just like, I mean, who, what a great idea. It's like, who, what, who better to introduce a fucking psycho weird movie than, like, the greatest voice in the history of television. Yeah. Like, as far as voiceovers are, like... Inter- I mean, I can listen to Rod Serling, I don't know, talk about oh, yeah. diarrhea. I, I'm, just, I'm in. I just love him so much because I'm, like, the biggest the Twilight Zone nerd. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, we covered Jessica Harper a little bit. God, just her, like, IMDb in general, just to be, like... I mean, imagine being, like, 
you know, she's probably like a grandmother or dead by now. I actually no, she's don't. Alive. Know. She was actually in the Nuisance period too. Oh, that's right. I knew that. Damn it. But um, I'm sure. She, I mean, possibly she's a she's a grandmother now. But just to be like, kids, no one. You're never gonna be as cool as me. Like I was in Suspiria and Phantom of the Paradise. I mean, oh, she yeah. could have just retired after Suspiria and been good. Yeah. But like, man, what a what a great like just two iconic films. Well, it's also funny too because she. You know, tying everything together, she's actually in the follow up to Rocky Horror. She's uh, her other like musical is um, is Shock Treatment, which is funny. And then the other musical that she did that I'm a huge fan of, uh, which ironically she couldn't use her voice, is Pennies from Heaven, where she's oh, Steve okay. Martin's wife. Um, oh my god, I totally forgot. Like the one who makes her like wear the lipstick on her nipples. Yeah, just like uh, that's right. He's yeah, he's so shitty to her in that movie. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm like, God, she's just so great. But again, like she was kind of like that person who was in just more offbeat movies. Was she also in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 78 no, remake? No, but I do... She, she looks very familiar. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, she looks very, uh, like, similar. My brain isn't functioning right now because I can't think of her name, but yeah, she is... There's kind of, like, three women that I think you can uh, inter, uh, interchange in some ways. They're, like, they all have a certain type, and now that's going to make my brain... It's different. almost like the Chris's right now with Pratt and... Yeah, totally. Hemming. Except those guys are all just like because they're just so bland. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so Karen Allen is one of them that I always kind of uh, put with Jessica Harper, and then uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That is gonna make me um, go crazy. So I've got to figure that out right now. <laughs> all right. While you're looking that up, I just love the little thing where um, home, Homeboy when he has to go to Sing Sing and then he gets signed up for the voluntary program, and they basically bust out. Like, that shit that they used to do in psychiatric wards in, like, the beginning of the 20th century. It's just like, oh, all your crazy comes from your teeth. And so we have to pull all of your teeth out. And you don't want to have an infection, do you? And it's just like, uh. And then gives them that, like, silver grill for the rest of the Just such a cool look. Brooke Adams is who uh, is Invasion of the Bison. But yeah, it's those three. But no, that that teeth thing, it makes, when he finally gets the mask on. Yes. And he's got the teeth, and he's just like... Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and then how he gets his face fucked up. Uh, I was reading this. Um, so that was a real, like, record printing press. And then that was really, like, where they press the, the vinyl. But they, like, coated both sides with, like, thick rubber foam. And uh, they're like, okay, it'll soften the blow. Not a big deal. And, of course, like, the press is, like, so much stronger than that. So it immediately goes through it. So, like... His scream in the film apparently is real because his face is beginning to be crushed. Yeah, never put your head in the fucking press. Yeah, and then really it, thankfully, like he got his his face out right on time. They cut away before that happened. But like when you go back and watch the film, when he's getting his face pressed, he's getting his face pressed. Oh, and yeah. that is so bananas. Yeah. Um. By yeah, I can't get so over that. But I also speaking of uh, the prison. I love that um, it's very appropriate if you're in a musical and you're being sent to prison where else should you go but Sing Sing yeah that's that's a nice touch <laughs> very nice touch um, oh also the place where um, he finally gets his voice back and he's in the studio that studio is incredible it's real yeah uh, yeah and then that that big giant board is a like custom made Moog synthesizer that they're using and you're just like I would kill to fuck with that and apparently you still can that entire setup is in um, Calgary some studio in oh, Calgary oh nice I say it's not in uh, like Jack White's backyard I mean yeah when I who knows when I know right <laughs> who knows when I like when that was uh, printed that I read that but I'm, I'm assuming yeah if I had I mean, yeah if I had Jack White money I'd probably have that by now um, which I hope he's getting good use out of it <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it's in Calgary, and I mean the end. To, to like, to, I mean we're all over the place with this film because there's just so much and it doesn't matter. But oh, yeah. the um, the the wedding, like I oh yeah oh my god, I really wish that was my wedding. But like to just, I think that theater that they shot that in is in Texas. Yeah, and uh, just like them on the stage, all the extras going just full extra, like they are like wild oh, like yeah. everybody is on PCP in the final the sequence of that film especially when people start dying and then oh, they yeah. start like ripping them from limb to limb that's why I was like it's so funny because it's like rated PG and I'm just like I just love that movies were PG back then oh this, yeah this was this movie well I love like his uh, crazy because you, you realize that um, yeah I mean through all the, the crazy back and forth because uh Swan is basically kind of like a satanic figure. He's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like for the Faust thing where, uh, you know, Winslow signs over his, his soul, basically, for the music. But then uh, you realize that Swan also basically sold his soul to the devil and they're all kind of locked together in this yeah. thing. And in the end, when he's like, comes up for the wedding, but he's got that crazy gold mask on. Yes. And then his crazy, he's trying to, he wanted to stay young forever because um, he was going to kill himself because he was aging. Uh, back in the early 50s. Uh, but yeah, that, that whole, like, because he looks all, like, fucked up and crazy, and then, then you finally get to see, like, Winslow's full face. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, like, just crawling around. Um, yeah, all of all of it is so great. This is another one of those movies where I've seen it so many times, but so many, like, every scene is a favorite scene, so it always feels like it goes by so fast. I'm like, oh, it's this scene already, or it's this scene. I know, it really does fly by. That's why it's so easy for me to... I mean, I basically watched it three times in 24 hours. The last one being at work on mute, so I, I don't really yeah. count that. But I literally, I went, I started watching the movie at like midnight last night, watched the whole thing, went to sleep, woke up, had breakfast, put the movie back on, yeah. started it all over again, because I'm just like, all right, well, now I'm not high. So now let's like actually like focus on this. But like watch it again, I was like, I totally picked it up the, I mean, the, the last time, last night when I was watching it, Stone, it's like the great, it's a great movie to watch Stone, it's a great movie to watch Sober. There's just, you can come at it from every angle, and yeah. uh, it's just gonna be just just Paul Williams' just, look in that movie, like his hair, his helmet his hair is so insane looking, and oh, his like yeah. weird capped teeth. Yeah, oh it's my like, god, everything is, teeth is so, so unsettling. Yeah, it's like, and he's just like, yeah, he's just got like the greatest screen presence. Like just him, just even just like sitting back, just smoking a cigarette and staring at something, and just like it is so captivating. And it's like it's crazy. He's he's super short. He was like, <laughs> you know, like born or whatever, like. Um, he isn't like I guess you know you don't say midget but like a little person but he is like almost short enough to be categorized uh, as you know as a genuine little person but then he the way he carries himself this whole movie is if he's like um, just the fucking boss and apparently originally they wanted him to be the phantom and that was the the concept but he didn't want to do it and apparently one of the reasons he didn't want to do it uh, you know besides the fact that he just didn't think that he had the the charisma to pull off that character. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the fact that he works so much in the industry and he didn't want, you know, his, like, uh, to be in this movie where it seemed that he was complaining about the way the music industry had been treating him. Because uh. he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing so well. I'm doing stuff for A&M and, um, you know, and I'm really, like, you know, I, I'm having a great career. I don't want to seem, like, ungrateful. Yeah. But I think that was a great cast because I think William Finley is so perfect. He's so perfect because it's face in general is just so weird looking yeah like he has his he has like i mean i have 
big features on my face and like this guy has like insanely big features on his face so by the time you put those fake grill on him that crazy makeup put the mask on and he's giving you those bug eyes through the mask uh, yeah. like no, he has the perfect face for a monster. Oh, yeah. Um, but he's and not he a bad-looking guy, but no. he just has the perfect but face he, for he a monster. he always plays those parts, because it's in all those Palmer movies where he's like, yeah, he's like the scary, like, doctor. Um, he's just a big yeah, he's guy. Just... He's, like, gangly, and, like, you can tell he's way above six feet, or at least, or everybody around him is short, which yeah. could be true, because this is a movie we're talking about, and most actors are short, but still... I mean, I feel like him and Donald Sutherland like can see eye to eye, but yeah. uh, who knows if I'm, if, if I'm being wrong or not. But, like... Um, it's funny when he gets. I'm just like we're going everywhere, but when he escapes from Sing Sing in like the, the back of it, and he he comes out like of the box and he just rolls and he's just in whatever. It totally reminds me of the end of After Hours. Oh, totally. And I'm just like, this is After Hours. Like this is totally Scorsese going like, I'm gonna use that because it's the same thing. And you're just like, ah, De Palma did it. Well, another <laughs> movie that is funny that has a. Uh, direct connection is my other like favorite 70s musicals Nashville which also has a whole major plot point uh, about um, a star being assassinated in the middle of the show yeah. creating the opportunity for someone else to like become a star um, and that movie was probably in production around the same time but that came out like the following year or year after um, and obviously like Altman was definitely aware of De Palma and he oh, yeah. I'm sure would have seen this so I don't know if this, um, you know, or if, I don't know who, if Joan Tewksbury, who wrote Nashville, if, if there was a direct influence or it just happens to be one of those things that are all together. But um, yeah, it's just funny how there's so many of those little elements in this that look forward to other things coming in the future. And, um, you know, that it's like pulling from all these other like, you know, movie, movie cues. It's so great. Um, it's crazy that he never I mean maybe because it was a bomb or whatever but like De Palma never did another movie like this not even close no. and you're like but he wrote and directed this this was definitely like a passion project well he had a thing too where apparently like there was he wrote the original script with uh, his writing partner uh, I can't think what her name is but she, there was a whole thing back and forth where they sold the movie and then that fell apart, so he bought the rights back. And they did, it was a, literally, he did it twice, where they sold it, and then he ended up getting the rights and buying it back. But then eventually, when this situation happened, I don't know if it's because like Edward Pressman was ready to like produce it, or Fox was involved, where he had to go back and write out his writing partner's contributions to the script so that he could just write her out of it, because she didn't want to like. Oh, so he had to change whatever. So there's a lot of changes, which he talks about uh, in this interview, where he says, you know, it's kind of too bad because there's a lot of great stuff that she added to it that I, I couldn't use because of whatever. That sucks. But we'd already gone through this like so many times, so we just needed to get this movie made. Yeah. Um, God, I can't imagine it being much better than it is. Yeah, totally. I know. That's I'm like this. It all. What is it missing? So, yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe it, honestly, it, that addition by subtraction, it probably is a better movie without the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm just like, I don't really know what... I mean, it's a, it's a tight 90 minutes. Oh, yeah. Uh, everything has a purpose, and... And it's kind of epic. I mean, there's yes. so much that happens. There's so you know? much that and happens. And there's just so many, like... That's why I love the, like, the progression of William Finley throughout the film. Like, he's the Phantom in, like, 40 minutes mm -hmm. or less. Oh, yeah. And, like, but the way that he gets from, like, just being a guy doodling on his piano, like, after a little set, like, on the stage, to, you know, where he ends up, you're like... How do we get here so fast? Well, all the little micro scenes are all really entertaining. Like, they're all these perfect little capsule scenes. Like, even when he, um, you know, 
first he hears that he's going to go back to, you know, Swan wants his music. So then he tries to go to Swan's office, okay? And then, uh, but he goes there and there's the woman, the great, like, so Death Records is his label, which they, people make those t-shirts and I, I've always wanted to buy one. I don't know why I don't have one yet, but it's the Dead Sparrow yes. or whatever. Uh, which Tom DeLonge owes some money, uh, this, one of the singers or old singers from Blink-182, because when he started his company, Atticus, I think is what it's called, it's a total ripoff of Death Records. That's so funny. Uh, well, I love when he shows up there, and then the woman, the secretary, just goes through the Rolodex, and it's really funny to see the people. It's like David Geffen, Pet Midler, and it flips up, uh, you know, uh, uh, Winslow's name, you know, and it's like do not ever talk to, and it's like crazy. But then he ends up going to the multiple times he goes to Swan's house, and he goes to the big casting call, and that's when he first meets Phoenix, and you realize that the casting call is literally just like these women are just going to be like raped in this like little yeah. hole and it's just like what the fuck is that crazy scene and uh-huh. then there's the whole scene when like he goes in drag and gets into the into Swan's house and then gets you know kicked out but then there's the two like black police officers yeah. who then like plant the smack in his purse yes. <laughs> you know to like arrest him and that sets this whole thing so like and you know all of those little scenes and then yeah when he goes to prison they're pulling his teeth out and like any one of these could have just been like a scene like oh just a scene to get you from here to there we're like oh then he goes to prison or whatever but it's like maybe he goes to prison and his teeth are pulled out and there's this whole thing of that or it's like every scene is built like this beautiful pyramid where there's like they build on each one of these little mini masterpieces and they just all string along and you're like this is so wildly entertaining and it's I mean nobody's had a worse time then, oh, yeah. then I mean I this guy well, Griffin done in the, after hours did you go back I mean he didn't that's lose his teeth and he didn't lose like, I mean like you know it's bad when you try to commit suicide and you can't because you unwillingly sold your soul to the devil <laughs> fair yeah, and you're just like what the fuck I can't even what and it's just like and my songs are a hit and nobody knows I wrote them and I can't even fucking bring myself to kill the guy that stole them from me because I have some weird I don't know it's crazy this guy is fucked i just want to show you really quick this is real like oh, how yeah. has he not been sued oh yeah totally yeah it's completely that, death that was such a big like the ad i'm showing derek the uh the atticus logo or whatever in the early 2000s this was like one of the hottest brands out there <laughs> well i think there must not be much about copyright because literally there's like so many people do the death records memorabilia oh yeah um, though speaking of i would uh, love one of their jean jackets like with the cut oh, yeah. or whatever that the security wears in the film I think of all the Death Records shit, like, that's what I want. I want to yeah. wear that next winter, all winter. The, uh, originally, because his name is Swan, it was supposed to be Swan Song. Oh, was, yeah. Uh, Zeppelin. Yeah, the thing. And then, uh, and I don't know if it was, like, they got spooked by Zeppelin, or, because I, I never had heard that, like, you know, they didn't technically sue them, or if there's some sort of cease and desist, but uh, in the movie, there's all of these graphics where they've, like... You know, covered over most of the swan song stuff. You still see a lot of the swans and some of the, the graphics, but uh, they just made most of it just like death records. But I kind of love it's like a, one of the weird characters of the movie. Like mm-hmm. you can totally see the uh, the composites and the way it kind of you know. It's so bizarre. It's just like how does like Led Zeppelin have a copyright over swan song? Yeah, I don't understand. And like they must have. Just I think that's... because it's so similar in like being a record label and it being oh, if yeah. it was something. That's not true. you know and there's even other little references I would love to read the original script because I think there's a lot of stuff that does get kind of um, toned down in one of the special features on the I have the Shout Factory disc and uh, they show like little images of some of the script little elements here and there and I noticed that Beef's character originally in the script is called Captain Beef 
And oh, so Captain I wonder, Beefheart? I, so I think there's maybe a Captain Beefheart uh, element to it. Or there was something where... Yeah, so that, that seems like that's where that was maybe headed. Or maybe what their original intention. Um, and I don't know if it was like... In all the rewriting, they ended up coming, you know, getting to the beef character as the kind of like crazy glam insanity. His character beef also kind of reminds me of um, God. I can't think of that guy's name, but the guy in the producers. Um, oh man! Uh, While you're thinking of that, I just have a weird sidebar Captain Beefheart thing. I want to hope. I hope I'm getting the the right artist, but I I believe it was you too when they said like, oh, oh, I think it was when they were recording Joshua Tree. They're like uh-huh. recording America and all that stuff, and they're just like, "Oh, who would you want to record this?" Like, actually, we would love to record uh, uh, Captain Beefheart, which Captain Beefheart is where I'm from, Palmdale. So like, they're oh, close yeah. to Joshua Tree and all that kind of stuff. Just like, I would love to work with him. Like, if we can just all get together and meet up one day and like whatever, it'd be awesome. And then the news got out to Captain Beefheart, and then he responded in the press with, "I uh, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good on that." And it just like completely shut you two down in the high, like the biggest band in the world just wants to work with him. He's like, "I'm good." I love him. Oh, so Captain Beefheart. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um, he, he was the fucking best. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think there's probably a lot of that sort of stuff. And I'm sure there's like lots of other weird little references that somehow just got either toned down and like the, the shuffling around. And that's um, like, yeah, this movie is so like dense. And I mean, yeah, if it's, <clears throat> you, I mean, you, you know, when you think about a movie, it's like, oh, it takes like a few years to get into production and people work on this and that. But this has obviously been. De Palma's like baby since the 60s I know he wanted to make it in the late 60s and then having to buy the rights back and blah 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 like you just discussed like just makes you like rework the script and rework the script and like tighten things up that it, there's just so much going on there and I know also like you know some some stuff gets lost in time especially for me I mean you're more of an encyclopedia of this kind of stuff so like I'm sure there's hundreds of things that like went completely over my head because like it was like a reference point in like 72 or 73 whenever yeah. this was filmed and now I'm just like oh I didn't even realize they're doing that um you know I'm it, it it's weird it's like I wish I would have listened to the soundtrack like 30 times and then watched the movie twice cuz I still I'm like I need to unlock why this why the music is so good I just haven't yet oh yeah but it's just like literally everything else is like so 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 amazing it's like a it's like 4.5 even when like you know move when the songs comes on I'm not mad at it but I'm just not like yeah it's this song like uh but maybe one day I'll I'll get there Someday. I mean I I yeah I I always like equate it back to like you know remember the first time you thought you heard Radiohead and you're like what the fuck is this and then all of a sudden you just click and you're like oh this is the greatest band in the world oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like it just one day and it just all makes sense and there's been like a handful of bands that have done that to me so maybe this is one of those things where I'm like, all right. The other thing, speaking of like, you're talking about De Palma not making anything quite like this. And I was thinking about like, because the production design is such a huge part of this movie. And I love Jack Fisk. Like he, um, I mean, yeah, mostly the Terrence Malick and all the David Lynch stuff, but just like some of the big movies he did, just to give you a comparison to like, what is not like this, but I mean, also how amazing <laughs> this guy's work is, but he did, um, you know, The Revenant, There Will Be Blood, Mulholland Drive, The Master, oh Tree of Life, oh my The God. Thin Red Line, The Straight Story, Phantom of the Paradise. Um, you just like all these things. He also, the closest movie I think he did to this is another movie that we covered. He's um, the art director for Messiah of Evil. Yeah. Um, and that Ooh, movie has, so spooky. Yeah, that movie has really great stuff. Uh, like, Especially really when they get in the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Once they get in the movie, or even the house with yeah. all the crazy, like the murals and stuff. Well, he um, loves the color red. We oh, know yeah. this. Yeah. And also, it's just like now watching Suspiria, you're like, 
all the red is from Emma Gad. Well, that's the thing, too, is I think about, like, you know, in the weird, like, uh, the connecting game, you know, where, say, you know, Dario Argento, you know, sees this. He becomes influenced. He casts Jessica uh, Harper. Harper in, you know, Suspiria. And he gets Goblin to do that soundtrack. That movie influences John Carpenter so much that he ends up, like, using those references to, to making the music for uh, Halloween, which wow. then, like, you know, so all of these things, like, it's like the thing, it's like, it was such a fertile time where, like, all of these crazy people are, you know, like, just totally feeding on each other, and they're all, like, just doing all this, I don't know, these amazing, iconic things that now we're like, what the fuck? Like, it's like suck now. <laughs> it's like the Rolling Stones, like, sticky fingers, where yeah. you just, like... Everybody's p- coming through and like putting their stamp on it, or like I mean, I guess Exile Main Street's like the same way, but oh, really yeah. sticky fingers because then you get like Graham Parsons involved, and he's just like, "Hey, so I have this song like uh, Dead Flowers, <laughs> if you want to yeah. like use that." And it's just like such so just like breeding ground of just creativity that just goes in every direction, and it's only nothing but positive. <laughs> where you're just like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this." new thing that's happening because of of this. Yeah, where everybody shines. Yes. You know, that's one of the things, too, where, like, like one of the things I love about this movie, why I think that, like, to me, I love all of the the cast, like, all, like, whenever, like, any of them are on screen, I'm like, they all are, you're seeing the best of each of them, you know, like, and that's so awesome. It's not just like, oh, some movies is like that character. There's me, if you're lucky, two characters that are really great and they're Mm -hmm. really propelling a movie. But this, I'm just like, I love, yeah, Winslow and all of his crazy in the Phantom, and I love, you know, Swan and Paul Williams and, you know, just yeah. that beef. Yes. You know, and then, like, and then, you know, you have the way everything looks and just, you know, all these things. Um, and that's just so great. That's just, like, you know, and, yeah, Rocky Horror actually has that, too, where I'm, like, I love... I want more meatloaf. Yeah, yeah where you're just, totally. like, crazy. Just like, yeah, and then, yeah, I think it's funny, um, with, I guess, the type of, like, uh, both of these two, and meatloaf makes me think of it, but uh, Jim Steinman, who died last week... He was kind of like one of those guys who, because like Meatloaf's music, like Bad Out of the Hell, Bad Out of Hell, Meatloaf's performing it, but really it's all Jim Steinman's music, and Absolutely. he wrote and did He's, all that stuff. all the piano compositions. Yeah. yeah, and so like, but he did all those other stuff, like you know, those Bonnie Tyler songs, like Total Eclipse of the Heart, and like all that like super bombastic yeah. insanity. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I fucking love that shit so much, and it's like these, and you know, Rocky Horror has a lot of that. You know, he's not involved in that, but you like. With Meatloaf there and crossing the paths, so yeah. Like, this all is like of a certain type of insane like zeitgeist that's going on um, that I love. If musicals went more in that direction, I would be way more excited about like contemporary musicals. But the seventies is kind of the weird period where I I totally start shutting like the love down because uh, I don't like a lot of the stuff that was happening on Broadway at the time. Like I'm not. I, I never liked Andrew Lloyd Webber and Stephen Sondheim. I love West Side Story so much, but I, I'm not even a big fan of his later stuff. Yeah, um, that's all kind of a blind spot for me, which is hilarious because if, I mean, I know you know me, but anybody out there that knows me, because we've discussed it plenty, anytime I actually sit down and watch a musical, I love it. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, why don't you just watch more of these? But also, I've only kind of crossed off, like, the all-timers, and so... I'm sure. I mean, there's a lot of sludge out there that I just don't want to get into. And I'm one of those people too that like if as soon as like I get embarrassed easy. Like that's why I can't. I never watch reality TV. Is like when something embarrassing has happened, I put like my head in my hands. (laughs) And music does that more than anything. When like something is like vile, but also everybody is trying to sell you that vile shit, and they're just like presenting it like this is awesome, and you're like, no, it's not. 
and that's what's kept me away from a lot of musical stuff too like um i mean i, I saw like la la land in theaters and like it's fine as a which it got way too much shit but like it's it's fine the musical numbers are terrible like it's like none of the music is good like you don't walk out of that going like man i want to listen to that song again or you don't even remember what's i can't tell you a word of one of the songs but um but they're selling it so much that it embarrasses you. Oh uh, yeah. And it's just like, uh, like the there's an Emma Stone like trying to get the part in like something, and she sings, and she's like off key on purpose. But I think that's just like the best that she can sing. And you're just like, this is trash. What the fuck is going on right now? And um, at I least tried to watch that movie, but I I got like like 15 or maybe 18 minutes in, and I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. But it's, it's also like it's hard. so much like it's taking the 60s Jacques Demi musical and just trying to basically lift all of that wholesale and just try to do it with these other people and you're like this is like you totally can't do for me I'm like I, there's already somebody who did this and he was doing it as a response to his weird love and re-filtering his love of musicals and doing some other weird thing and then you're just basically taking wholesale his whole weird thing and then trying to make it this other thing and I'm like I am not I'm not here for any of this <laughs> I guess a lot yeah the last the only musical I can think of in the 21st century that I'm like, fuck, he yeah, has the lure. Oh, yeah, that was so great. It's, like, amazing, but, um, which we did an episode on that, too. Uh, there's, I, I mean, I guess I, I missed, I didn't watch Chicago. I didn't see Dreamgirls. I mean, there, I, mean I missed them all. Uh, yeah. I'll just put it out that way. But, yeah, so, um, I'm, this is terrible for me to even talk about because I'm just, I, it's all blind spot to me, so yeah. never mind. But I love West Side Story. I have not seen the, uh, the Steven Spielberg trailer yet. I know, his, I haven't seen the trailer yet. I, like, just, I saw a still frame and I'm like, I can't fucking believe he's doing this. It's like, also it's like, Steven Spielberg, what? Like, I would see like, if Spike Lee wanted to do it, I'd probably see it the first day. Because yeah. I'm like, there's got to be something to this. Well, I am wondering about that because I, I know that there was a production maybe 10 years ago where um, all of the Puerto Ricans like, were singing in Spanish. Um, and apparently that was even when Stephen Sondheim, cool. you know, uh, was you know, writing it in the 50s. That that was a, a concept that they were going to do, and they didn't. So, I mean, I could see something like that to re... Uh, re it's funny that it's going to be... It's coming out this year, uh, and it's, you know, 60 years after the original came out. Like, mm -hmm. Rita Marino came out during the very strange Academy Awards this year. And, uh, and, you know, kind of mentioned that, you know, because it's been 60 years since she won her award. Wow. Um, and she still looks great. Um, but you're like, that movie, it fucking, it, every, it's like one of those, like, happy accidents. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a great musical, it, but all the talent they have involved, like, just work. You have, like, Jerome Robbins, like, choreography, which is, like, It takes your insane. breath away. Yeah. It's almost like a Shaw Brothers film. Yeah. Where you're like, what the fuck? They're like acrobats. Oh, yeah. They're not even dancers. You're just like. Just backflips. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck is going on right now? Am I watching like the trials to the Olympics and like they, they just forgot to bring their warm up so they're wearing their denim jeans? Like, yeah. excuse me, it's 1960. What? Like, yeah, I yeah, I'm so glad I got to see that in 70 millimeter and a giant. It's the only. I mean, top that, Steven Spielberg. What are you fucking doing? Yeah, I know. What are you doing? I mean, Why yeah. would you remake a masterpiece? I just have never understood that in general. I know yeah. we've had that conversation. I think on the mic before, but like, holy fuck. Well, it's like Truffaut said that. Like, they said, I think he's saying, especially in America, how they have this terrible habit of remaking great movies where you need to, you know, remake the ones that didn't work. 
Exactly. Yeah. That's why I always see you Remake La La Land. <laughs> yeah, totally. Remake La La Land. Steven Spielberg presents La La Land. Um, but yeah, like, uh, in the Maltese Falcon is always the perfect example where, you know, the Maltese Falcon, uh, the one anyone remembers with uh, Humphrey Bogart, you know, John Huston's first movie, it was the third time Warner Brothers had made that novel in 10 years. Okay, which is, people also, you know, people complain now, like, God, oh, there's something new and everything's a remake. No, it's always been that way. Always, always, always been that way. People were doing remakes in the teens and in the, like, you know, it was, this never, that's never going to happen. If they think that they're going to have success with something, they're going to try it again. But the thing is that uh, it feels more like we're rehashing a lot of the same stuff um, because it's, it's not doing anything creative with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems kind of lazy. It's kind of like, you know, I never saw the new Ghostbusters. Everyone got their panties in an uproar about. Um, Neither did and, I. you know, A, I didn't need a new Ghostbusters. I have nothing, I have no problem with it being cast with all women. Like, that's actually a step in something. Um, but you know what I will say is I cannot think of a theme song to that movie where I can think of a theme song to the first two Ghostbusters movies and oh, they just yeah. put it in your head. Like, yeah, who are you going to call? Yeah. Get Ray Parker Jr. out. Or, like, get somebody. Do a fucking... Make it make it exciting. I know. Um, Ray Parker Jr. Though. had to pay Huey Lewis a lot of money for stealing that song, though. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I think it's I Want a New Drug is Ghostbusters. If you listen to them back and back, and then, like, you know... Do, 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 do. It's the same beats per minute. It's the same key. It's the same. Anyway, yeah, Huey Lewis sued Ray Parker Jr. and won. So, but still, great, great theme. They're both great. They're both great. All right, that was Phantom of the Paradise, kind That's of. Phantom of the Paradise, yeah. Sorry, we will we will be gone for a month. But hey, like I said at the top of the hour, um, we have a Patreon. There's uh, 50 episodes just waiting for you. All you gotta do is subscribe. $5 a month. Hey, listen to them all, then cancel your subscription. I don't give a shit. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if you miss us, um, we will be back in June, but uh, we'll always be on Patreon as well. And we'll have, uh, we have at least one new episode for Patreon in the month of May. So, there it is. So, until then, let's keep it purely casual. Bye.